Hi, friends. Before I jump into today's episode, I just want to give you a little context. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, a listener, DJ Klein from Jackson, Mississippi, reached out to me by email. And this is what he said. He said, good evening, Mr. Parker. I hope all is well. I started listening to your podcast about a year ago and just wanted to say thank you for all the hard work and insight. I wanted to reach out to ask you your advice. I'm about to start my first full-time administrative role as an assistant principal at a local high school. I was wondering if you have any resources or tips for my first year. I have started Jen Schwanke's book, You're the Principal, Now What? It has been great so far. Thank you in advance. So I called DJ. And so this week's episode is my attempt to answer the question, what ideas should a new assistant principal have in mind for his or her first year? As always, if you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com. Principal Matters Podcast, episode 197. Hi, DJ. This is Will, and I'm so glad that you've connected. Tell me where you are today. Hi, good afternoon, Will. I'm uh, located right outside of uh, Jackson, Mississippi. I'm a uh, former uh, six-year, sixth-grade math teacher, uh, also coached high school football along with uh, middle school basketball, and I've currently uh, just accepted my first uh, assistant principal role at uh, Terry High School, which is located about 20 minutes south of Jackson. So uh, very very excited, also very nervous, and so uh, wanted to reach out to you and just gather some insight as I uh, just prepare to, uh, you know, step into uh, my first role in uh, as an assistant principal. Well, I am so thrilled for you, DJ. I'm just like jumping up and down for joy, um, and I don't know how a Pittsburgh boy ended up in in Mississippi. So I got, tell me that story first, like how, because I know from earlier, our earlier conversation that you started up in the Northeast and now you're a Southerner. So how'd that happen? Yes, sir. Oh man. Well, right uh, between my uh, junior year and senior year, my dad uh, broke the news to us that he got a job uh, working down in uh, Vicksburg for the U.S. Uh, Army Corps of Engineers. And so uh, first he just, he kind of got us all together around the dining room table and asked us, hey, what are our thoughts on it? And I told him, hey, you know, uh, I only have one more year of, of high school left. It's, it's going to be difficult, but everything happens for a reason. I've always believed that, especially being a man of faith. And so uh, we moved down here. And so I attended uh, Clinton High School for one year. And then uh, as soon as I departed from there, I went to Heinz uh, Community College for uh, two years. And then I finished my uh, undergrad in elementary education at uh, Mississippi State. So that's it in a very, very... Uh, brief nutshell there. Yeah. So how many years have you been in the classroom? What grades? I've been uh, academically, I've been uh, teaching sixth grade math for my entire uh, super long six year career. Uh, I started out uh, coaching football on the high school level at uh, Madison Central right outside of Jackson here. And uh, I did that for two years and then uh, decided to step down. I quickly realized that, you know, uh, at first I thought coaching was, you know, the direction that I really wanted to pursue. And then just after some thoughts and, uh, you know, prayer with the wife, I decided just to uh, stay in the classroom uh, full time. I absolutely loved it. And so, uh, and over the years, my own administration just really started to uh, just push me into the direction of uh, educational leadership. And at first I was a little, little hesitant, a little, little reluctant to uh, pursue it. And then enrolled in a master's program and, uh, 
that, hey, you know, uh, why not? If that's where uh, God wants me to be, that's where he'll, he'll place me. And so uh, very, again, long story short, I got my uh, master's degree and uh, I passed the uh, SLLA and then been interviewing for the past uh, two years at just local uh, local high school, elementary, all three levels. And so uh, finally got that first uh, offer. And so uh, looking very excited to get started in the fall. Well, congratulations, DJ. And I know the feeling that you have when you've worked so hard, when you've prepared so long, when you've thought about all the options and, you know, so and congratulations for you and your family, because this is such an amazing opportunity for your career. And I know that because you, you reached out to me, you had some questions about like, okay, well, here I am getting ready to step in. And so just for anybody that's listening into this conversation, remind me the questions that you were, you're thinking about when you reached out to me. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, especially uh, just, you know, going through your uh, website, I just had a very uh, brief moment just to kind of skim uh, your biography. And I saw that, uh, that you won, uh, and that you were recognized as assistant principal of the year back in uh, 2004, was it? 2012. Don't make me that old, DJ. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. (laughs) And so, uh, and really, so really, I wanted to reach out to you and especially just having, uh, you know, no experience whatsoever. There was a couple of topics that I really wanted to dive into. Uh, You know, the first one, just really any uh, general advice. I know just a lot of my mentors around here, uh, they all have kind of unanimously agreed that, you know, your first year uh, behind the desk, it's very similar to your first year, you know, as, as a teacher in the classroom. I mean, you really don't know what you're in for until you really start. And so that's really what I, I wanted to uh, reach out to you about, just really any general advice that, you know, that you can offer anybody uh, like me who's about to assume, you know, again, their, uh, their first year as an assistant principal, uh, lessons that you've learned yourself as an assistant principal, uh, perhaps some even uh, mistakes to avoid. And also a kind of a real deep question, especially with someone being, you know, the first year, really, how do you gain, you know, the trust of your staff and your students? I'm going to be uh, leading a school of about 1,200 students, uh, grades 9 to 12, and uh, just supervising electives along with some athletic responsibilities as well. And so uh, I know that's very broad, but really any insight that you can offer, uh, I'm all yours. So. Yeah, well, there was a, a follow-up question that you had to that too in the email you sent, which was any specific books or content that might be good to read. And you're already re- reading Jen Schwanke's book, You're the Principal Now What? So congratulations on picking up a great read there. That's a book that we use in training with new principals in my work. So I want to begin with just a book recommendations, and then I'm going to give you DJ, 10 things that I just jotted down quickly that I would say to any new principal or any new assistant principal that I think um, might be helpful as you're stepping into your new role. So first of all, uh, uh, some book recommendations. The first one is one I've not read, but I'm hearing lots of positive feedback because it just came out this month and it's called The Assistant Principal, 50 Critical Questions for Meaningful Leadership and Professional Growth by Barute Kafale. So Principal Kafale has been uh, is an ASCD author, and he came out with that new book. And I'm going to send you links to all of these things, DJ, so don't feel like you have to take yes, more notes. Thank you. Thank but um, the Principal Kafale's book is uh, is available online, and he's actually been hosting free, I believe they're on Saturdays, free Saturday webinars going through each chapter of his book for any assistant principals out there that want to get some free professional development. So check him out. 
uh, check out his Twitter handles and I'll send you a link to his new book. There is a back order for that book because it's so popular that um, Amazon has not been able to keep up with, with the orders. So, uh, but I do think the ebook is, uh, is a quicker delivery if you want to go that direction. The second book I'm going to recommend to you because I don't know if you've, if you've had access to it, but I wrote a book several years ago called Principal Matters, The Motivation, Action, Courage, and Teamwork Needed for School Leaders. And I'm going to send you a free copy of that, DJ. So after we finish this conversation, I'll get your mailing address from you because I just want you to have that in your arsenal okay, you. as, a, as a way to read. And that was a reflection that I wrote as I was finishing my years as an assistant principal and moving into the head principalship. And so it's uh, written from experience. Uh, because I spent about nine years in the assistant principal role before I stepped into the role of a, of a high school principal. And then I'm going to recommend two non-education books. And um, these have nothing to do with principalship, but I have found them helpful for me to think about my school as an organization. Um, and one of them is, is a classic called Good to Great, Why Some Companies Make the Leap and Others Don't by James Collins. And it's just a fantastic study of the most historically most successful American companies and the common traits of their CEOs, what makes them stand above the rest. And I really like this study because it helped me to identify the kinds of qualities I wanted to be cultivating in my own leadership. And then the last book I'm going to recommend is another business book. Uh, and this one is by Dave Ramsey. He's a big entrepreneur, personal finance. I'm sure you are familiar with Dave Ramsey's content, but he wrote a book several years ago called Entree Leadership, a step-by-step guide for leading your business to success. And I also found it really helpful because as a small business owner who grew his business to more than 300 at the time that he wrote the book, and now his business is about 500 employees, he had to learn a lot of lessons along the way about how to manage people, how to look for quality, how to define responsibilities. And I really found his book just kind of a practical tip for the business side of what you're going to be doing in administration. And so even though you're still an instructional leader, you're also doing some organizational management things that you've never done before. And so looking at organizational management from the perspective of business, I have found helpful in leading schools too. So those are my four quick book recommendations. So remind me afterwards and um, your address, and I'm going to give you a copy of, of my book, Principal Matters. Now, Here's the 10 things that I wanted to share with you from your first question, which was, you know, what are some tips that you would have for a new leader? And so I can unpack these for hours. And so I'm going to give you um, each tip with just a brief, some brief comments, and then we can circle back and um, have some unpack one or two of them if you've got some follow-up questions. But so I'm just going to dive in. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. So uh, tip number one. And again, I'll share all of these with you, DJ. Tip number one is discover the vision and values of your head principal and consider how you can support those values. There's nothing more important as an assistant principal than realizing that your, your role is to support, promote, and cultivate the vision and the value of the leader that you're following. And so, so if you can identify, spend time listening and identifying what those values are, what those goals are, what those priorities are for your leader, then you're going to be a huge asset for that person in accomplishing those goals because you become, just like in coaching, a great assistant coach understands the goals of their head coach and helps reach those goals together. And so one of the best things an assistant principal can do is is to figure out, identify those values and goals of the head principal, and then figure out how you can help accomplish them. Number two is to identify the administrative structural designs and expectations in your school. In other words, know your job description, 
figure out exactly what it is that, that your job description is. And that looks different from school to school. So I can't sit here and tell you, guess what? This is what you're going to be doing on a daily basis because that depends on the community, the size of the school, how many other assistant principals are in the building, if, if, whether or not you have instructional coaches, whether or not you have therapeutic counselors. There's just so many variables. But you, your school has a structural division and expectations. If they're written down, that's fantastic because that's going to give you a big leg up. If they're not, then start trying to write a job description uh, for yourself of, of the key responsibilities that you're going to be having in your role, because that's where you have to focus your energy is in your key responsibility areas. And you're going to find that that list is very, really long. Number three, be friendly and introduce yourself to everyone. Now, let me unpack that just a little bit. Everyone means teachers, parents, community groups, custodians, bus drivers, paraprofessionals, counselors, nurses the upper administration who's, who you're going to be reporting to, and of course, your students. Now, you have to decide, DJ, what that means for you. In a school with 1,200 kids, it's an, it's an impossibility for you to introduce yourself face-to-face with every person in your community. So you may want to consider an introduction social media post or an introduction email or, an, or a, a part in the next newsletter. You may want to just consider some old-fashioned introductions, which in my case, I remember in my first year as an assistant principal, I made sure that I went into the kitchen and said hello to all the ladies in the cafeteria and the, and the folks that worked there. I made sure that I was at the bus stops in the morning to actually step into the bus and say hi to the bus driver, introduce myself to all of them and be there so that they would know, hey, and guess another great thing to do too is pick a route and ride one so that you can get to know those bus drivers close up. So it, by everyone, I mean everyone. Everyone needs to know that you're there and they need to, to have met you in a friendly way so that they can see that, hey, Mr. Klein's here, he's visible, he actually cared enough to introduce himself to me, and he cares. Number four is listen a lot. I'm pausing there because I just want this one to sink in. Because what I would add to that is speak as little as possible at first, except when you're being friendly and courteous. And this way you learn what I call the lay of the land. I grew up out in West Tennessee, so my daddy would always talk about the lay of the land. And so, but, but you have to understand where you are. And so listening is the best way for you to understand the, the environment in which you're going to be serving. And what I see a lot of leaders do, whether intentionally or unintentionally, is they, they get very eager to begin to make decisions or changes without really understanding. And so, of course, one of my favorite listening quotes is from Stephen Covey, who says, seek first to understand before being understood. So take a lot of time to just listen and understand and realize that your job is to be an investigator and to observe um, and explore the options. Let's see, where are we? Number five. Number five is expect the best, but guard your trust until you know who's trustworthy. And this is huge because first of all, you have to demonstrate trust by following through on your promises, doing what you say you're gonna do, building trust in others, but you're gonna have to figure out who you can trust because sometimes it's easy to, to... if you don't know the lay of the land yet, to place your trust in people who may not be trustworthy. And so you need to spend some time getting to know people before you know who you can really trust with confidence. Now, hopefully that's the people on your administrative team because you, you guys have to have a strong bond of trust if you're going to lead together. Occasionally, I've seen schools where those administrative members may not be trustworthy. And if you discover that, you have to be really careful in supporting the leaders that you have in front of you, but without putting yourself in positions where you're putting your own trust at risk. And so um, if you run into something like that, DJ, call me because I'd love to coach you through some of those options. But expect the best from others, 
anticipate the best, but guard your trust until you know who's trustworthy. And that works for parents and teachers and students and your community members too. All right, number six, understand and follow your school policies. I call this the student handbook and your district policies your assistant principal Bible. And so you have to make sure that you have taken time to read that, to understand it, to memorize it, to make it, to understand it backwards and forward because you're the one as an administrator, that term administration means that you're actually administering those policies. You're responsible for managing those things. So you have to know what they are, otherwise you can't enforce them. Number seven, follow your policies consistently, fairly, and firmly. And until you've learned the full context of your climate and culture, I always advise new assistant principals to avoid gray areas. <laughs> don't, try to, don't try to guess. Rely on those policies and procedures. Be as consistent as you possibly can. And if you're unsure, you ask a trusted, experienced admin before you move forward. So it's just really important that you rely on those policies so that you don't put yourself in any position with liability or risk or negligence or that you violate anything that's going to get you in trouble um, in terms of, of your professional work. Number eight, and this is a, a to-do list for your summer, schedule as many of your observations and evaluations if you have that responsibility. Schedule as many of them in your calendar the year in advance. So take a look at the whole school calendar and figure out who you can block each week to make sure that you're scheduling time into your calendar to get into their classrooms. Now, I call this chunking where I take two or three teachers a week and I chunk them. I don't give them a specific day. I just say, during this week range, I plan to be in their rooms. And then I share that chunk list with all my staff once I've got it developed. And of course, you're going to want to talk about this with your other administrative team members because you may or may not have the same responsibilities as other people on your team and your principal may be the one who decides for you who, who you need to do this with. But what I've discovered is if you can chunk the things into your calendar that are already responsibilities and priorities in advance, then when everything else comes crashing down around you, you already have a priority list of things that still have to be done. And that way you don't get to the end of a semester and you're like, oh my gosh, I have 15 teachers whose rooms I have not been in, which happens a lot to new principals. So get those things on your calendar in advance and then you can adjust them accordingly whenever there's a fire to put out, which there will be plenty of those to put out. Number nine, there's only two more. Commit to personal self-care habits and continue them even when you're so overwhelmed you don't think you have time to exercise, to eat, or to sleep. And so this is going to be something that's easy for me to say to you in the summer, but it's going to be really hard for you to practice in the fall. And that is whatever those personal care habits are, DJ, that you have, whether that's fitness, whether that's nutrition, whether that's sleep, whether that's time with your family, you need to build those into your habits and continue as much as you can to practice those consistently because they will fuel the energy that you need to do this really hard job. If you start taking those things off your list, then what you're going to discover is your energy levels are going to go down, down, down. Your inspiration levels are going to go down, down, down. And then you're going to be running on empty. And so you're going to have all this stuff to do with no energy to do it. And so it's not, it's, I know it's counterintuitive. People that work really hard think, so I, could, I don't have time to do personal care because I have so much to do. But what they don't realize is that the personal care gives them the energy to do those things. So make sure that you still stay committed to that. Even if that means, you know, that you're running at 5 a.m., to get that work done. Um, I know you've understand that as a teacher, what that looks like too. And then the last one, and then I'll give us a chance to unpack and, and debrief. Number 10, this may be the most important one. Give yourself a lot of grace, a lot of grace. This is going to be your first year. And just like you said earlier, the first years are usually the hardest of anything that you do. And until you've done something 
at least once. You don't usually know how to dis, you know, discover your groove. And so give yourself a lot of grace. Take one step at a time. You're going to have so many things to learn and to do, but you just take them one at a time and realize that when you take one step at a time, you're going to finish your race, not in a sprint, because you can't sprint this race. It's a, it's, a, it's a marathon. So just one step at a time, one day at a time, and you're going to find that list you're going to be accomplishing those tasks one after another. So I hope that's helpful. And so I'm just going to do a quick review of those 10 because I know that if I was listening to this conversation, I'd be like, man, that's a lot of content, Will. So number one, discover the vision and values of your head principal and support those values. Two, figure out the administrative structure of your school, and which means know your job description. Three, be friendly and introduce yourself to everyone. Four, listen a lot and speak little. Five, Expect the best, but guard yourself until you know who to trust. Six, understand and follow your school policies. Seven, follow your policies consistently, fairly, and firmly. Eight, schedule as many of your observations and evaluations and meetings on your calendar in advance as you can. Nine, commit to personal self-care no matter what. But 10, give yourself a lot of grace because you're not going to do it perfectly. And so accept that right now that you're learning, which is what leaders do. Man, that was a lot to unpack. Man, but that's all all very good stuff. As you can tell, my I, even though you already said you're going to send me a list, I've been taking notes. My whole page is filled right here. So uh, this is really, really good. And I appreciate you taking your time to uh, to give this to me. I wanted to, uh, if it's okay with you, if we could unpack just a, mm-hmm. just a few of these. Uh, especially on number one, geez, just Discovering the vision and values of uh, of the head principal. I mean, you know, there's obviously several different leadership styles, and I mean, really, for somebody who's going into it for you know the very first time, uh, what is a good way to uh, just to really, I guess, ask and find out to dig deeper on that? Like, mm-hmm. is that something that is really can can be accomplished through maybe one conversation, one meeting, or is that just something that you kind of slowly discover for yourself over the, you know, the first few months? I mean, uh, really, what was the best way to to approach that topic? Yeah. Well, I think to answer that question, you, the first thing I would say is it really depends on the leader. You know, there are some leaders who are very, very clear about what their expectations are, what their values are. I worked for a superintendent in my previous district who every single year would begin the year by reviewing his values, his goals for for us as a district and then for those of us in leadership in our schools. And what I loved about it was it was, even though often it was very familiar as I got to know him over the years and predictable in some ways, it was also reassuring just to be reminded, these are the things that he really values. And in my role as a principal in the district now supporting my superintendent is to make sure that I match and support those values too. But I've discovered in working with other leaders that sometimes they're not quite as clear and forward with what their visions and goals are, but you begin to collect a sense of what they are based on how they work with you. And so what I try to do is just listen closely. I will say this, I typically can identify the priorities of a leader based on what they spend their time doing. So if you could ask to see a copy of your leader's calendar, you're going to get a pretty good sense of what their priorities are. And, and I'm not su- suggesting you do that, but it may be available. Another way to ask that question is, of course, to look at your school's vision and mission statements, because a lot of schools have a vision and mission statement, and then have that conversation. How was this created? How long has this been around? 
is this something that was um, that you created or is this something that we that we've inherited? Um, because then you're going to get a sense of whether that mission statement and vision statement are real or just a motto on the wall. And but if that's something that your principal has helped create and owns, then that gives you a first step in knowing where they're heading. If you discover in the conversations that you don't really have a strong sense of direction from your leader, then that's a vision is mission too, which means that there may not be a clear vision and, and passion for the direction of your school. But I'm going to assume that that there is, every leader has some intention of what their goals and outcomes that they dream of for their schools and passions are. And so if those things aren't clearly communicated to you, then DJ, I think that in the right conversations, those are great questions to ask. Hey, I'm just really curious, what do you consider the one, two, or three biggest goals you want to reach this year? That's the kind of question I would ask, just so that I can hear back reflected back what's on the heart of that leader because then you're going to get a sense of, okay, this is where he or she's going to put their time and effort because this is what they really want to accomplish. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, the second thing, especially this is coming from somebody who is you know, fresh out of the classroom in terms of uh, observations, of course, you know, for uh, especially particularly for younger teachers, you know, the whole formal observation can be uh, quite intimidating. And so, uh, but every, every person is, they're different when it comes to the meeting, especially after, you know, the initial observation, the follow-up. It could be could be quite tense, especially for teachers. And uh, some might be quick to get, uh, you know, some are open to whatever feedback you have to provide, others maybe not so much. So just really diving in on number eight, just to build on that observations there, scheduling and all that, especially for your uh, post-op uh, observation conference, just any advice to, to really just promote a, just a atmosphere or a culture of just um, positive feedback, especially for teachers that might be expecting something else, I guess. <laughs> well, that's a great question. And I think Again, part of that depends on how your school typically communicates out to um, teachers the expectations that come with observations and evaluations. So you may want to ask your principal, you know, what format are, are you typically following? What kinds of communication do you give on the front end for this? And if there's already a model in place, then you may want to adapt that same model so that there's consistency. If it's not uh, intentional, if there's not a, you know, a design language that's, that's usually used, then I think it's, um, regardless of that, it's important for you to communicate that I'm excited about being in your classrooms. I'm looking forward to seeing your instruction with students. I have scheduled these times where I'm going to be planning to be in your classrooms. In my case, I would always say, here are the dates that I plan to be visiting and observing and evaluating. But let's talk about times that where you are interested in me also coming in if you're doing special projects. So, so there's a lot you can say in that. But I think it's really important to communicate um, on the front end that your goal is to come in and support instruction. And so, you know, the, it's not a gotcha moment and you don't need to say that in, in your communication, but I think it's, I think they can sense that in your demeanor. And so I think it's important. And I think it's also important to DJ to realize too, that observing and identifying strong instruction does not require you to be an expert in a content or subject area. And so don't feel intimidated or stressed if you're stepping into a language arts class or a science class or a U.S. history class or a choir or music class because you are a math instructor, you might be thinking, well, I really don't know this content very well, so how am I supposed to identify whether, you know, the instruction is being effective? Because what you're going to discover is that those instructional tendencies are the same no matter what the, what the subject. And because you have to ask yourself, the, you know, the two questions, which is what 
are students actually learning in this moment? What are they supposed to be learning? And how do we know they learned it? You know, those are just two simple questions. What are they learning? And then how do we know they learned it? And if you can keep it that simple, then, you, then you're looking for those instructional strategies that help create the environments where kids know what they're supposed to be learning and then they're being supported in actually learning it. And so keep it simple and look for those same traits that you would identify. And as you do this over time, you're going to begin to identify pretty quickly what's working and what's not working. But then when you have follow-up conversations with teachers, I always love to ask two questions, which is tell me the things that you feel like are working really well for you in instruction right now and let them answer that before you start going through your list of things you've observed. And then the follow-up question to that is tell me some areas or an area where you feel like you may need to grow and then let them go there too. Because then before you ever, and then once they've had an opportunity to express their own self-reflections of where they are, as an instructor, then you can say, well, let's go through the observation I just did. And um, I'll tell you the things I observed. And, and let's, let's uh, look at that in light of what you just told me and see if, um, you know, if I'm observing the same things that you're observing. And, and together, it becomes not just an opportunity for you to evaluate and observe, but to do some coaching um, and to provide some feedback. Because a lot of times, just like in any conversation, you, you can help become a mirror to somebody else so that they can see things about themselves that they couldn't see otherwise. Absolutely. That's uh, fantastic, especially when, I think especially as a teacher, I mean, the areas that I felt like that I grew the most were definitely the ones that I pursued myself. And instead of really being told a certain way, it was all about self-discovery and reflection. And uh, throughout the years, I've also been just observing just, hey, different administrators on elementary, middle, and high school level. And there's one uh, local principal uh, who's a dear mentor of mine. And what she does on a monthly basis is after her evaluation, she'll have the teachers pick three different things, three different areas, whether it be an instructional technique or a classroom management idea, just three different ways to improve. And during their next meeting, they go over those uh, three things and they pick three more. And so uh, that has been one of uh, many, many things that she just kind of implemented in her school. And oh, uh, it's really shown just in the you know overall performance. So uh, that's really good stuff. Yeah, so, that's uh, fantastic. Yes, sir. Number four, listen a lot and speak little. That's really what I wrote down to kind of sum that one up. And I saw a quote uh, probably somewhere on social media that, you know, one of our biggest problems with human beings is that, you know, we listen to respond. We don't listen to comprehend. And so uh, I was wondering if you could really uh, maybe just unpack that just a little bit or maybe tell a story or a scenario maybe where that really uh, comes into play. So. Yeah, well, I'm going to give you an assignment, and I and maybe you could do this with your wife. Or do you guys have children? I don't, I don't know your your history. Yes, sir. I'm actually at a, outside the doctor's office. I have a, a two and a half year old baby girl. She's in there with my wife right now. So. All right, ma'am. Well, if we need to go any moment, you just tell me, and we'll wrap it up because yes, you're sir. being a good dad. But I, I want to give you an assignment that I love to do with um, when I'm working with with leaders, especially. And I want you to be to ask your wife a question, and it could be something like, "Tell me one of the most memorable moments you have." had as a mother or tell me, you know, in your own words, why you love doing in whatever her career is or whatever, you know, why you love, you know, being a mom. Oh, yeah, I'm just trying to pick something that, that would be a good conversation to have together. And then ask her to res- just say, I, I just want you to t- just tell me all everything that you that you think about that for the next 90 seconds. And for the next 90 seconds, don't respond. Now, 
but don't respond. I mean, don't respond verbally. Obviously, you're going to look her in the eyes. You're going to listen actively. You're going to nod your head. You're going to do those things. But don't force yourself not to start talking back. Force yourself not to respond until she's completely done. And then when she's completely done, after the 90 seconds, I want you to do this. I want you to say, what's your wife's name? What's her first name? Kristen. I want you to say, Kristen, here's what I, what I heard you say is this. This is what I heard you just tell me. And I want you to repeat back to her all the things that she just said to you in your own words. And what you're going to discover is that active listening is really hard because when she's talking to you for 90 seconds, you're already going to be thinking about the things you want to say because we don't do, like you just said, we don't do a very good job of listening. We just do a really good job of thinking about what we're going to say next. And the second thing you're going to discover is that when you summarize back to her, you're probably going to get it wrong. And she's going to say, or you may get it right, but a lot of times she's going to say, well, actually, this is actually what I meant. And she's going to clarify for you. And then I want you to take that practice into your work so that when you're meeting a student for the first time, or you're meeting teachers for the first time, or you're just talking to someone, ask them an open-ended question so you can discover something about them that maybe you don't know. And then just be quiet and let them talk and, and really actively listen. And that also means putting your phone down when someone walks into your office to talk to you or stepping away from the computer. Um, one of the worst things that we can do to communicate to others is that they're not valuable is to, is to be texting the whole time they're speaking to us or to be sitting there staring at our email when someone's trying to have our attention. So give them at least 60 seconds of undivided attention, 90 if possible, before you have to pause and say, oh, I'm so glad you told me that. I actually need to finish this task and then can I follow up with you? So you can still be polite and do your work, but you want to make sure that you're Listen, that, that you, you take time to listen. And so that's, that's, I don't know if that's a good example of listen a lot, speak little, but I think it's a good way for people to identify that you're trying to understand them before leading them. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to try that out. She might immediately catch on that I'm doing something a little <laughs> bit different. But, uh, hey, what, what, did, what, did, what did Mr. Parker tell you to do? But I'm going to yeah. give it a shot. I'm going to try well, to you can, also, you uh, can be, you can be, you can be overt and just tell her, Hey, I was given this assignment. So let's try this. Right. Well, I think she's going to be, hey, if she was over my shoulder right now, she'll probably be saying thank you because uh -huh. hey, I do appreciate it. Well, in, in just to wrap everything up, is there uh, just anything, any other last bit of advice, maybe something popped into mind uh, over the course of our conversation or, yeah. or also being a former, uh, you know, head principal yourself. I mean, is there mm -hmm. perhaps something that you saw, maybe a, a vice principal that uh, that served under you? Maybe was there a common kind of, I guess, rookie mistake that you saw just around just during your career, just some different things to avoid or any, any feedback is sure. much appreciated. Thank you. Well, the last thing I'm going to say, uh, DJ, that I've thought about as we were wrapping this up, and this probably is not something that's going to answer any of those specific questions, but I, but I think it's important. In all of those cautions and procedures and expectations that you're putting on yourself, I think it's really important, and this is so hard to do, but it's so inspiring to do it, is don't miss out on the moments that are right in front of you. Because every single day, you're going to be walking into situations that you're going to have, that you're going to be privy to that you weren't as a teacher. And it's going to be really eye-opening. You're going to see more classrooms than you've ever seen. You're going to see more student activities than you've ever seen. You're going to see more adult interaction than you've ever seen. You're going to see staff working in settings that you never really realized how much they do. And, and, and sometimes it's, um, it's easy to miss the moment. And so I think it's important every single day to, to pause for just a second and ask yourself, what am I seeing in front of me right now that's wonderful? And how can I just 
be, give thanks for like that I get to be, that I get to see this, that I get to view this. That might be a kid standing up in front of a class giving a demonstration. It might be watching a coach lead a practice and you're like, man, I can't believe I get to actually go observe this or stepping right. into a choir, stepping into a choir room when they're breaking into song. I can't tell you how beautiful that can be. And so, so give yourself permission. And I, and this is what I say to leaders a lot. And I know it sounds kind of weird because I probably don't need to say it, but give yourself permission to love your students. So, so in the midst of being the, whatever that is, the disciplinarian, the administrator, the policy enforcer, all of those things are, are your responsibilities. That's your job description. But you can do that at the same time and love your kids. And they're going to know, and they're going to know the difference because when you're, and, and I love something Jimmy Casas um, recently said in one of his posts, and he's a great leader too. If you have not read his content, check out Jimmy Casas. But but Jimmy recently said two things. He always asks a student at, at the end of a disciplinary meeting. He always says to him, do you feel like I've been fair in the situation? If not, let's explore that why. And two, do you know that I care about you, that I still care a lot about you? Those are two great questions because you're, you're making sure that you've identified with that student, that they understand the reasoning that you have in making decisions on their behalf or with them. And then two, they really need to know you care about them as a person because they're going to be a, a whole lot more responsive. And you may ask those questions and that meeting blows up. And some kid says something you don't expect and it gets really ugly, but don't take it personally because it's not you that they're mad at. You're, you know, it may be your role that they're mad at, um, but you have to learn how to be the adult in those situations and try to still guide them back to, here's the fair and consistent expectation that we have. And even if you don't like it, you need to know we like you. And, uh, and I think when you do that, you're going to build uh, the relationships with people where they know that you're, you're in it for them and you're a part of a community. You're not just fulfilling the role of an assistant principal. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, being in, you know, the people business, you obviously have to put the, uh, the people first, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. and I love what you said about not missing out on the moments. I think it was just a few uh, episodes ago that you were going over several, several different things. And I think one of them, uh, you told a story about uh, what was it perhaps a uh, a prom or a school dance and you just had a chance to just to sit down and uh and just soak it all in and yeah. so uh that's that's really really awesome yeah and it took me a long time to get there dj because i spent my yeah. first few years in administration loathing like oh i can't believe i'm out late at night again but away from my family and i'm having to watch these kids dance and i wish you know i'm tired <laughs> and but i finally began to realize man why don't i start embracing these moments because these are really meaningful moments for these kids. And if I can just sit back and, and recognize the meaning of what's going on too, then I can find a whole lot more joy in the work. And so, um, so anyway, I hope that's helpful, my friend. It's been amazing to connect with you. I, I'm so glad you shot me that message earlier so that we could have this conversation. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking your time to uh, give me all this. This is a lot of stuff and I'm definitely going to you know, go back tonight and then uh, dive deeper on a lot of this. So thank you. I really do appreciate it. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com. <laughs>